Champs Lunch! Champs Lunch! What's up, buddy? Hey, hey, look. Hello and welcome to Champs Lunch, a Schmodown podcast from the host of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today, the new era of the Schmodown begins with season seven of the movie trivia Schmodown. We will be talking about all of the events of January, including the movie trivia Schmodown draft, the first draft ever, uh, as well as the first live event of the season, the first matches of the season, which took place this past weekend uh, in New York. But before we get to that, Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. It's uh, uh, day day three of being in Canada, so recording from far afield uh, here for work, but always have time to watch the Schmodown. I watched it when I got here on Sunday night because I didn't have the time to watch it on Saturday night when it was when it was live for, the, of course, the live event happening. Uh, but yeah, it's doing well. Excited to talk about Schmodown again. I mean, obviously, we got to talk about it about a month ago and talk about whole the whole of season six, but Ever since the draft happened, I've really been uh, chomping at the bit, as they say, to, to get back here and, and start discussing it again. Yeah, and with this Skybound partnership now, we may have even more matches than ever to talk about this season, um, depending on what all the implications are of that. I think we're still finding out some of the details, but eventually more matches on the horizon. So that's exciting for sure. Um, but what's also, exci- what's also exciting is that we have our first ever guest here joining us on Champs Lunch. This is something we're going to try to do uh, a little more often this year. Uh, because obviously the Schmodown community is so vast, whether it's the fans, the reactors, or the actual competitors themselves. Uh, getting some guests in here, I think, only makes sense uh, in terms of put, getting the podcast out there. So our first guest, uh, he is a Schmodown Award nominee. You know him, you love him from his channel, Jaw Movies, um, and from being the co-host of the podcast, The Councilman. Uh, Albert Wiradharma is joining us today. Albert, how's it going? Hi, thank you. I, I'm very honored to be the first guest ever for uh, Champs Lunch. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no better way to start out with a than with a Schmodown Award nominee, I think, uh, and and someone that I think uh, a lot of people know here in the community. So we're excited to have you on, and I'm excited to talk about these matches. And yeah. with that, let's let's get to it. Uh, the New York Live event took place this past weekend, just like last year. The season kicked off with the New York Live event, um, and we had two matches once again. Uh, at the event in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, we'll start by talking about the undercard match, which pitted uh, the manager of the Burning Droogs, Robert Meyer Burnett, uh, against the usual suspects, Andrew Guy, in a grudge match of sorts. You know, we saw the fallout sort of uh, from what happened uh, with the family, that that faction that Burnett had last year um, at, the, at the end of the spectacular um, and this match kicked off the season with the, you know, the drama still being amped up between these two guys. Um, but the first question I want to ask you all, and we'll, we'll start with Albert on this, um, round one, do we think that the question writers made the questions easier in order to avoid another Burnett versus Dagnino? Because, uh, there were some softballs here and the fact that this was seven to seven after round one, um, was a little surprising for sure. I don't know if it was just for this match or not, but I do recognize in this in the past few matches that they've been trying to, it seems like, reduce the difficulty for round one as a whole. And yeah, it, you can sort of see in this one because 
uh, what was the final score when Burnett last played against Zagnino? It was like it was a very slow burn match. Yeah, but yeah, they, they didn't like even eight reach to seven, seven or something. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I, th- I thought it was like a six to three TKO or something like that. Maybe I'm, I missed. It was it. rough. <laughs> I don't know. It was rough. Scott, your thoughts? Uh, have you noticed the questions getting easier across the board or just in this match? Or? I'm not sure across the board. I think our like the most recent sample might be a little bit biased just because obviously in the spectacular you have the best players in the in the schmodown playing and and I didn't really notice necessarily the question difficulty being easier. But man, I couldn't help but think the question difficulty went down in the guy match. It, and I wasn't surprised. I thought that they kind of dropped the difficulty of the questions in guys match against Merle back at the collision uh, in season five. And I think that they did it. And they did it for. I even thought they did it in the in the Dagnino Burnett match uh, from last year as well. And I think they did it again here. Maybe maybe it's pure happenstance and luck. Maybe it's some sort of like perception bias involved with with trying to rationalize how Robert Meyer Burnett got seven points in round one. Uh, I don't know, but I think that it certainly catered to the players uh, on the stage in the first match uh, of the of the of the doubleheader here, the undercard. And, you know, that being said, they capitalized on it. They both did well. They both, they both missed the same question too, didn't they? It was they the last it. question. Yeah. Yeah. They both missed the last question, which actually that was kind of hard. That was one of the harder questions for sure in round one, but the difficulty, I think immediately kind of went back up or at least back up to where you'd expect, I think round two to be. And both of them struggled in round two. Uh, Burnett getting that big two point steal to, I think really keep him, uh, well, not just in, yeah. Well, keep him in the game ultimately at the uh, by by the end of round two, uh, and then you know I felt like he kind of kind of blew it if if that is the right word to use in, in round three. I thought his three point question in particular, it's escaping me right now what it was, but I really thought that it was he, the Logan Marshall Green upgrade question. Oh yeah, especially afterwards mm-hmm. when he said that he just bought the Blu-ray and didn't remember who was in yeah who was the star of the movie. I was like, dude, I don't know how you didn't know that. Uh, not that everyone should know who the lead actor in Upgrade was, but I thought it was a relatively easy three-point question. But again, that's my own new releases bias and knowing, mm. um, you know, almost always being able to to sweep, you know, sweep the category when new releases comes up. That I, I recognize oh. that's one of my stronger categories. No, I, you know, I'm saying like I recognize it's one of my stronger <laughs> categories. And, you know, if you go into any other category, I might not feel the same way. Yeah, no, I'll be interested to see what the round one questions look like for the rest of the season. I do think that maybe there was some he that Christian perhaps tactically told the uh, the question writers to make them a little easier here, considering it is a live event. It is the start of the new season. Right. It is the start of this whole new era. And you had the Skybound sponsors there, right? Like but for some of them, according to what Christian's been saying, that it was the first time that they were experiencing the Schmodown. And I don't think he wanted a redux of Burnett and Dagnino in that setting. I, I think that kind of match can be fun for people who have been watching the Schmodown for a long time, but if you're trying to sell someone on the Schmodown, like, you know, literally sell them, as, as in the case of the people from Skybound, uh, I think it makes sense to do that. But yeah, Scott, you alluded to to round two and the steal there. Um, of course, Burnett needed that steal because he chose, uh, or he, he decided to go with his first spin, which was Nolan movies. Um, and once again, his explanation uh, after the match, a little confusing, saying that well, I know Inception. I'm pretty sure that was that was what he said about um, why he, he chose the movies. Inception question. There, there's that, and also Wally Fister, who scored Inception, or not scored. Or, sorry, he uh, did the cinematography. cinematography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even still, like the logic of that 
that being that that's only one Christopher Nolan movie when there are a lot of others to choose from, uh, probably shows that Burnett still has a way to go in terms of the strategy of the game. Yeah, uh, just, Albert, just like his drafting think, tactics. Very one to me. Albert, do you th- yeah. Do you think that uh, Burnett should continue competing? Uh, obviously, he's taking up a slot on his faction. He's taking up that 10th right. slot in order to compete. Uh, or do you think he would be better served dipping into that, you know, pretty pretty widespread free agent pool and, and getting someone else to take his spot there? Well, I uh, I mean, he, he did pretty okay. And I, don't, I wasn't sure if he was just playing like, not in the best tactics, or actually he is secretly a genius and he picked Nolan because it's Andrew Guy's strength and not going to the multiple choice when Andrew Guy needed it. Uh, but yeah, I don't think I don't think he should compete. I mean, he's a manager, he should focus on that. Plus, there are so many unknowns right now in the league, especially with rookies and everything, that you you could just pick someone up, especially with an open slot. Uh, you can get someone easily without needing to drop anyone. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And and it's a good point about the strategy too, because I, I, I like I've always thought about the strategy of you know trying to answer stuff on two points, answer harder questions on two points, um, so that your opponent doesn't get the easy steal, perhaps on multiple choice. I feel like it definitely was a lot more of a talking point after this match. So I will I do wonder if other people are going to try to do that going forward. It might be risky, right, in a in a high quality match when you when you're going up against you know a top tier opponent who you know, is probably going to know a lot of the questions on two-pointer. But maybe in a setting like this, if you get something that you know is a weakness for your opponent, uh, it does make more sense to try and take take a risk, go for it on two points, um, and make the steal harder for them in the end. Yeah, also on the overall questions in this match, I don't know exactly how much, but you guys remember that Harlov said this, this is going to be the first season that they're going to recycle the questions. Maybe there are some recycled yeah. questions and maybe that's why Burnett knows some or Guy knows some, but I don't know exactly if there are. But if there is, that might be a reason why they are able to answer some of them. Yeah, that's a good point too. And I do want to talk about that a little later when we get into the triple threat match, because obviously that played mm-hmm. a little bit of a factor in that match with with something that happened with Brendan Meyer. But yeah, you're 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 right about that. I mean, I've seen like every showdown, of course, but I don't remember every single question that's been asked. So I don't know uh, off the top of my head if there was any yeah. question that repeated, but there certainly could have been. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's a good point too. I, I think maybe the last thing to talk about with this match, of course, Andrew Guy did get the win in front of a uh, you know raucous crowd that was on his side. Uh, with respect to Andrew Guy, is um, his face turn right? Because obviously we saw this you know, hinted at, at the end of the spectacular. Uh, but he pretty, he leaned into it pretty heavily here um, with his post-match interview and saying, you know, he's doing this for the fans. And then ultimately, of course, changing his nickname from Dastardly to Debonair. What are your thoughts, uh, Albert or Scott, on this? The fact that, you know, probably the most notorious heel ever in the Schmodown uh, is kind of going the same way as his former partner, Ben Bateman, and becoming a face. I They sort of hint that. So I sort of see it coming. And I was also saying, like, if he's really going to go face, he should change his nickname because Dastard doesn't really fit. Although I wasn't sure what Debonair means and I had to Google it up right after he said that. <laughs> I think it was done all right. It's, I don't know how else they could have done the face turn, but it's, I feel like it's going to be like a slow progression towards the face. He's still kind of a tweener right now, more to the heelish side of it. But he's embracing the fans, which is a good side of uh, face. Yeah, you know, I don't view it as much of a face turn, I think, as uh, some people might be saying. I think that Action Army is always going to be 
a, a heel sort of support group. And I think that with Ben Bateman, again, not necessarily being a face either, being you know someone who who does sit comfortably in that middle these days, I, I think that I think the Action Army would feel a little bit rudderless if they didn't have a heel to still go to. I think that what Guy might be trying to do is is go in the heel direction. That's something that operates more in the space of someone like a Mike Kalinowski who is undoubtedly a heel, but is a heel in his own way. And I think that maybe Guy, rather than just being the dastardly one, the you know the pure evil uh, iconic heel that he has been for the past you know at least a year and a half, but longer than that, the last you know two and a half years almost. Uh, I think that instead he might be carving out a new space that also allows him to balance the fact that he is a member of Sam Levine's faction and Sam Levine, you know, is, is up there in, in the league with like the ultimate baby faces. Um, so I think he's trying to just carve out a new space and, and evolve his character a little bit to, to fit the, the mold of, of where he sits now in the schmodown. But I think that, you know, come the end of the year, I don't think you're going to see Andrew Guy on the list of faces of the year. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, I, I was going to make the same point, too, that I think he's doing what he has to do as a member of the usual suspects, right? I mean, if you look at some of the other people who are in that faction, like Janine, for example, someone who is about as much of a face as you can get, um, I, I think that what what a guy is doing is probably necessary in order for him. I, I don't think he could be the same version of heel that he has always been uh, and still coexist with the with the uh, usual suspects. And, you know, at the same, I, I'm a fan of that because uh, like it's time to do something different. I think, I mean, we've, we've seen this sort of same, I, you know, air from Andrew guy from the very beginning, and I'm always a fan of doing something different and, you know, switching things up. And so I think this makes sense. And with a lot of new people, you know, being introduced into the league, I think there's a lot of room for new heels to come in and take uh, Andrew guys place for sure. Uh, you know, as, the top of the mountain because I think otherwise guy was just going to keep winning heel of the year every year because much as Kalinowski may try I don't think he he's really close to to what guy can bring in terms of just being a straight up heel yeah my early pick of the year for heel of the year this year is going to be uh, Robert Parker so there you go <laughs> wow <laughs> that. Kidding. That was I mean, a, that was a joke. He, he is in the dungeon so it would be interesting to see like, like what Drew McWeeny winning heel of the year as a part of the family I mean, he, 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 yeah he, he I don't know. I'm going to have to see something different from from uh, the Hobbit to to convince the, me. The spider. He's the spider. Now. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's the spider now. He's, and okay, yeah, you, uh, you mentioned that there's going to be a lot of up and coming heel potentially, and I'm just looking at the faction list uh, and corruption. They have a lot of people that could be a heel. Mm -hmm. I, I'm interested to see what Bonnie Somerville can do as a heel. Yeah. Uh, the Den also. I'm I'm guessing they're heel. I'm still not sure. And if the burning I mean, they groups are, and they have Tom yeah, that's Paul, the thing. So. Yeah, and if the burning groups are gonna go full heel, I'm interested to see what Ethan Irwin can do with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Ethan's really interested in the <laughs> I character aspect of it at all, but we'll be interested. Maybe you know, we saw obviously we saw James White who was standing side by side with uh, with Burnett in his post match interview. Uh, maybe you know he's gonna kind of get behind him. I mean. He, he, I guess he's, well, I guess he does have Ethan Irwin, but he, I was going to say, he's going to have to get behind him, uh, maybe like in a team setting. Um, and so maybe he'll try to balance out Irwin by making James White some sort of a heel. So that will be interesting to watch, but guy gets the win there. Um, and yeah, that kind of, kind of as everyone expected, but a closer match than everyone expected, I think, which, which was good. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Moving on to the triple threat. Now, this was the main event. 
Um, and I think it's safe to say, just you know, cutting to the chase, that uh, I agree with Christian that this was probably the best triple threat match ever um, in in terms of the the quality of play. I, I mean, I think the Merle Ro, Ro, Roca and Riley match from back in the day is a pretty good triple threat. Um, but in terms of drama and coming down to the last question and stuff like that, um, I think this one's pretty hard to beat. Um, you, you had, of course, uh, the greatest of all time, Dan Merle, uh, you had Brendan, the kid Meyer, uh, and you had William, the beast, Bibiani. Bibiani starting off with that perfect round. Now, um, I wasn't aware of this until I heard Roca talking about it yesterday, but apparently there's some statistics on Bibiani that when he gets a perfect round in round one. He usually doesn't win the match, um, which is is pretty interesting. Um, and, and also, obviously, this didn't come into play too. But uh, I think Roca, I think it was Roca that was pointing out that Bibiani is like one in five or something in five round matches. Obviously, that didn't come into play there. But just some interesting statistics about about Bibs. But yeah, he gets the perfect round here. I, I think Dan and, and the kid both had seven after round one. Did Bibs get his bonus? I can't remember. Was it, did he have eight or nine? He did. He had nine. Yeah. Okay. Um, but that the real turning point of the match, I guess, came in. A lot of stuff happened in round two, but the real turning point came uh, when Bibbs um, missed a question on two pointer, missed a question about Jeff Bridges' first Oscar nomination um, on two points. And Dan and Brendan were both able to steal it. Um, were you guys surprised that Bibbs? Uh, went for it on two points with that, you know, maybe when he didn't know it, were you surprised that Bibbs missed the question? Cause actually um, I, the answer didn't immediately come to me, but once like, it, it was one of those things like, of course, yeah. Once you see the answer, you know, the answer, but like legitimately once I saw the answer, I was like, Oh yeah, I would have expected Bibbs to know that it was the last picture show. Um, do you think like that he just got rattled? Maybe do you think the pressure got to him or do you think he just didn't know this? I personally didn't know it, so I wasn't sure if there was a tough question or not. But knowing Bibbs, you know, he, he gambles and he knows a lot of stuff. So he might he might thought that he know it and he just answered it, but it turns out he was wrong. But yeah, uh, round two in a triple threat, I feel like is the literally make or break because there are so many steals possible between this, just the three competitors. So yeah, that's probably the biggest round going into this. And yeah, that was a lot of things shake up in that round too. So yeah. Yeah, and especially when you have such high caliber players like a two point steal like that again that that was the difference in the match honestly in the end so that that can really change the match when you have players who number one are probably going to have a good chance of stealing the question and number two aren't really going to miss very many other questions to give you an opportunity to like catch back up in the match. Um, yeah, but I, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just going to say I think that I mean you're absolutely right the the four point swing that comes with a two point steal especially. When you have two other competitors who are who are getting that four point swing, it absolutely made the difference for Bibbs in the match. And you guys are talking about here how you know did he gambled right? He gambled. He went for the two pointer. Uh, and I think part of that is, is not only the fact that Bibbs is the kind of person who you know trusts his instincts, trusts that he's going to know these answers and get them right, but he's also at the table with people you know who both got seven points in round one, who both had significant leads on him. Uh, at the end of their respective rounds, I, I think, you know, Brendan got seven points and Dan got a perfect uh, round two with eight points. And so, you know, Bibbs is thinking here, that, yes, I got a perfect round one, but, you know, ju just to be tied, I mean, or, or ha to, to, to maintain my advantage, I have to keep a perfect round here. And so I think that in this, in, in a different match against different competitors, 
he might have been more willing to sacrifice the point to make sure that he got it right. Uh, so I think it was kind of a perfect storm here of may maybe he, you know, maybe he was 100% confident in his answer and just, and just was wrong, right? But I also think that it's very possible that in this particular setting, especially against someone like Dan Merle, but also against the Brendan Meyer, uh, who was having a great match uh, of his own here, as you, know, you can see in the final scoreline as well. I think that the pressure was up there to, again, get that perfect round. And it, honestly, going third, too, that, that is one of the – it is a both a, you know a, an advantage and a disadvantage of going last even in, or, or second, obviously, just in a one-on-one -on -one match that you, know, you kind of have the pressure of the expectations. If your opponent gets a perfect round – uh, perfect round two you feel that pressure that you needed to do that too as, as the person going second so it was just kind of the perfect storm there to create the environment that would bibs might have gambled a little bit there but to also give bibs a little bit of credit here i think that at the end of round one i can't remember it, it, oh it was the question that dan and brendan missed it was an animated question which obviously i think bibs has been hit on in the past for not uh, having studied animated enough that is one of the tactics that i think yeah, well, used sorry go ahead that's true yeah picks Pixar killed him in that title match or in the number one contender match with Ben. So I think, yeah, you're right. Maybe he's been studying. Yeah, he studied, studied up a little bit. And then I thought that he got pretty rattled when he did give up that two-point steal uh, in round two. I think that he kind of sunk. He was, I mean, he's always leaning a little bit on the table, but he kind of sunk into the table a little bit. Uh, and I really thought he was done. I thought there was absolutely no chance that he you know, gets through the end of that match. But Coy Jandrew, his manager, I think, you know, shook him out of it. I think that probably... Brendan did as well. Having Brendan there on the stage with him probably helped out a lot. And so uh, a little mental fragility uh, overcome here because obviously, yes, he was the first out of the triple threat match, but he still got all 10 points uh, in round three. So a respectable showing from uh, Bibbs, who in the past might have not thrown in the towel uh, completely, but really lost hope for, for winning the match. And I think another thing, another reason why he maybe had that reaction too was, the, of course, that the fans turned on him uh, after the challenge that happened in round two. And there were actually two challenges that happened in round two that I want to talk about. Uh, the first one, something that I, I'll be interested to see if, if we have this sort of thing going on more this season where, uh, I, I mean, I guess it would depend on whether we have more triple threat matches, but Bibbs sort of challenging on behalf of his teammate, Brendan, uh, to, to help his teammate Brendan out after Brendan missed a question, I believe it was a conjuring question. Is that right? Is something about the question was worded uh, incorrectly with respect to the, like the plot, the way that they described the plot of the conjuring too was incorrect in Bibbs's estimation. And so he challenged on Brendan's behalf, the challenge got upheld. Um, and then Brendan was able to get a new question and get it right. Um, what do you guys think about this was, did you like that Bibbs did this, you know, to supporting his faction mate? Or do you think that he should have been, you know, he should have shown more of a competitive edge here and said, look, we're, we're opponents, you know, we're teammates, but we're also opponents in this setting. Um, and, and, you know, also talking about the role maybe that Koi played in that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I have mixed feelings about this because this particular case happened because both teammates are playing in the same match. And I don't know if this will happen any other time. Plus the fact they, they still use Brendan's challenge, but Bibbs is the one who called for the challenge, which is weird. Yeah. And then they had it's, Koi I, going, Koi had to do the ch official challenge and all. So it gets kind of muddled. It, it was, I think it was mainly just because Bibbs was the one who actually knew that the question was wrong. Like, yeah, uh, Brendan didn't realize that there was a mistake in the writing of the question. So, I guess that's why Bibbs felt like he was he had to be the one to challenge because he was the one who was actually claiming that the question was wrong. 
Yeah, and I think also here, like, is it the competitive edge that you expect, especially in you know this league, uh, especially with the points? No, I mean it's exactly what it, it is, more or less the same as well. Okay, not exactly the same, but you know more or less the same as what actually did the last year, challenging on behalf of <laughs> the uh, the family in in that um, in that quarterfinal ultimate showdown teams tournament match. Obviously, the outcome was more immediate and different in this case. And the dynamics are different, right? Like if you are, you know, Bibbs, I think obviously you should want it for yourself. You should want to be in that title match uh, and and win your faction the points. But he was helping out a teammate and a faction mate. And so from a manager perspective where, you know, you might kill Atchity for doing something like that in the match and giving ultimately giving the match to the other team, it's a I guess like the the point dynamics of it for your faction are a little bit different here where he's helping out his faction mate. You know, maybe he thought, you know, maybe there's no way that I overcome. Well, he hadn't actually gone at this point, so it didn't matter. But, you know, down, you know, if it had been in round three, you know, maybe there's a way to help your teammate out here to get to the, you know, to, to stay in the match, et cetera, et cetera, and help out your faction mate. So it's a little bit different than what happened last year with between the Patty and two and the family, but it, it seems similar at heart and, I don't know. It doesn't surprise me at all that Bibbs would do something like this. He is the kind of guy who uh, wants the answer to be right always. Yeah, and this is also maybe because it's a triple threat and they're sort of like ganging up on them, even though they're playing on, on their own. But I'm just thinking, like, imagine if there is a scenario between two players between the same faction, but they're just a one-on-one. I don't think they would use a challenge for each other if that's the case, I feel like. I feel like this is only because it's like sort of a two-on-one kind of base. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Right. It's a rare scenario. I think like, for example, Dan and Ben obviously are going up against each other now in the title match and they're in the same faction, but there's no way that anything would like that would happen yeah. in, the, in a one-on-one title match. Yeah. So yeah, it's probably, it's probably not something that we're going to see come up very often, but it was still interesting. Um, and uh, you know, the other challenge of course, which we have to give a mention to was kind of the moment when the crowd really turned against Bibbs um, when uh, Dan answered Sir Richard Attenborough to a pretty easy question about Jurassic Park. Um, and Bibbs challenged, of course, that uh, his name was Lord Richard Attenborough, which I believe uh, it was discovered after the match. While, yes, that is what he is known now, he actually was Sir Richard Attenborough at one point, possibly even when Jurassic Park was released. So he wasn't even right about it. And I think even if he was right about it, um, it was kind of a, a petty and uh, you know, wrong challenge to make in that particular moment. Um, I think we're probably on the same page about this, but do you guys agree that he probably should have avoided making this challenge, not only from uh, he wasn't going to win the challenge standpoint, but from a like psychological getting the fans to turn against you and, and you know, uh, to give him some credit, maybe he thought that this was going to rattle Dan because Dan obviously actually got angry. He, he was angry and we don't he see did. Dan Merle like, that angry that often but if there's somebody who's not going to let that get to them in a match i think it's dan merle so i don't know uh, if that strategy really made sense if that's what bibbs was trying to do but what did y'all think about this particular moment in the match yeah it's an interesting challenge and it's it's just like saying it's just like if you're saying the answer is kenneth brana but you didn't say sir kenneth brana or like you say judy dench without saying name judy dent it's like that's pretty much the same thing you know and even at one point, if you watch it uh, in the live stream, you can sort of hear when Koi and uh, Bibbs was discussing, like Bibbs mentioned, like, 
no, I'm not turning heel or something. I'm guessing like Koi asked him, are you going to, do you want to go heel or something? But yeah, it's, it's, it was like, it's a, it's a very cheap shot challenge in my opinion. Yeah. Scott, do you agree? Yeah. I mean, longtime listeners of the Champs Lunch podcast will know exactly uh, what I, what I think of, of this from Bibbs and just kind of reaffirming the fact that Bibbs just makes the, just the weirdest decisions around things to do. Uh, in a match and continues to be, I think, uh, yeah, just just someone who lives in his own world to like, to, I don't know how any unbiased observer of this match could think that that's not Bibbs turning, uh, Bib, uh, what Bibbs was doing wasn't a heel move, even though I genuinely believe Bibbs thinks that what he was doing was just like, look, if he's going to say sir, then he better be right when he says it. I think that it's just one of those things where I'm like, dude, come on, like, you're going to get nothing but absolute shit from that and i don't like that's not even a challenge i think I, I just literally don't think any other competitor would make that challenge like i don't think ben bateman would make that challenge and i think he's probably the one most likely to challenge anything um in in the league as we saw shortly after <laughs> this mm-hmm. which i think again might have been a more fair challenge I, I under i empathize a little bit more with the uh, uh with the challenge on that one and we can talk about that if we want to but yeah i mean it's like come on dude like just when i feel like you're starting to like get you know get to me a little bit in a positive way he does something like this and just kind of reaffirms why i'm not his biggest fan yeah no i I think that's there's that's all there is to say about it but uh moving forward to uh and uh, well i i will say one more thing that i think just thinking to go to your point scott i think like if you if someone else had done what bibs did like if jeff snyder had done what bibs (laughs) did right everyone would just be like oh there's snyder again you know but because it's Bibbs, and Snyder, Snyder would do that actually. Snyder would yeah, do that. and and there's like a this artificial like that he's a face somehow. Um, I think people maybe are going to be more forgiving of it. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, moving ahead to round three, um, a couple more talking points that happened here. Um, first of all, I, I we alluded to it earlier, but Brendan getting a question that he actually had had before, and obviously this is something that we knew was going to happen going into this season that questions from all seasons of the Schmodown were going to be able to be recycled. Um, and, and so, you know, it, but, but Christian, you know, had said that um, it maybe one or two would come up in a match um, and that it wasn't going to be a huge factor, but, you know, number one, I think it eases the brunt on the question writers considering there's probably going to be more matches this season. And number two it forces people to actually go back and watch the matches and study the game and stuff like that. Um, and so like, I understand why he did it, but I, I I'm interested in the implications now because when I heard it, I thought, well, this isn't ever like, you know, it'll come up once or twice, but uh, the fact that it came up here in this second match of the season and that it actually came up to a person who had had the exact same question before, like now that seems like a pretty rare scenario. But I'm wondering um, if you guys think that this is something um, that could happen more often. And if so, like, is that a bad thing that someone could get the same question twice? You know, or, or it, you know, should, should there be some kind of a rule maybe that if if you personally have had the question before, then we have to ask you a new question. But, um, you know, we're still going to recycle the questions uh, and stuff like that. I, I don't know if, if that makes sense from a logical perspective, but what do you guys think about the fact that, uh, a question that Brendan had had literally months before probably came up again uh, in this match. If I recall correctly, something happened similar to Smets in, in the Spectacular. I believe he got the same question 
that was us, or it was a previous match, I don't believe, I believe, but I remember Smats complaining, like, I got that before, give me another one, and Harlov's like, no, we're, do, we're we've told you we're going to recycle, and we're going to keep on going, so uh, I guess at this point, I feel like it should be fine, it forced them to at least remember what they uh, did as a mistake, and like you said, other competitors to rewatch some of the previous matches, to study the questions as well, I'm assuming this, this might happen again <laughs> a few more times, I don't know, how many people will like some people probably just accept it, but maybe some people who are because there are still some competitors who's not that tuned into the Shmoda, and maybe mm. they're like, Oh, I got that question already, give me another one. Maybe that will happen again. Who knows? Again, that could have been the difference in the match, right? In the in the end, like you know, may, maybe Brendan would have gotten a three-pointer that he didn't know, or or maybe if he hadn't had that question before, um, he he wouldn't have known it. Um, and if Dan, you know, if Dan doesn't get his five pointer, then Brendan is the winner. Scott, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, for, for me, it's one of those things where I've thought a lot about it, about how I feel about it. Cause obviously I think that anytime someone gets a question that they, you know, at, at most, right. Brendan joined the league a year ago at most, he got a year ago, but at most recently gotten a couple months ago. I think that always feels a little bit weird. I mean, we knew that questions were going to come up, but we obviously didn't expect it to come up in the second match of the season. And especially to a, to your point, to a competitor who had received that question less than a year before. The more that I thought about it, the more I think that, you know, Christian announced this, that, you know, they're going to recycle the questions starting with the new season and that, you know, anything could happen, right? I think that it's a different scenario if, say, six months from now, Brendan Meyer gets a question from the, you know, from the live event. You know, what, we've hit the reset button. If someone gets a question that they had already received later this year and they received this year, I think that's a situation in which they should get a new question. But this sort of very finite cutting off point, I think, happening, um, you know, with, with the start of the new season, I think that that is a point where, you know what, it happened. It may never happen again. Like may, maybe, I mean, who knows, maybe it'll happen the next match, but it probably, all things considered, will probably never happen again. And I think it was just, it was just luck. It was just fate. It happened sometimes. I understand the complaint from Ben Bateman. I think uh, that, I think Christian was right in that case, though. It made a lot of sense to, you know, use that question. It just, it just so happened that it worked out that way. I mean, it, and it just could have easily been a question been given to Ben and or not sorry not Ben but Dan and, and as someone who is in that faction and someone who watches all the matches, Dan would have known that that question just as easily as Brendan would have, and I don't think anyone would have complained about him knowing that question. So it just so happened that it fell to Brendan. And given the very specific context that you know it was this question came before the you know the hard reset of the questions, uh, I think that it was everything involved was done the right way. Uh, it's only now like. Again, like I mentioned, if someone gets a question in their first match of the season, they get the same question again in the second match of the season. That's a scenario in which they should be given a new question. Yeah, and, and I think maybe this might be a gray area in the rule, but I'm not sure, Scott, if what you're saying is possible that a question that has been used in season seven can then come up again in another match. I think it's probably just going to be questions from the past season, past seasons. Like, I, I don't know if, if yeah. like any other question that was asked in this match could then come up again in season seven. I feel like that's probably not the case. No, no, no. I don't, I don't think that would happen. Cause I think that that happening would be like, it would have happened in prior years when it was an accident and was supposed to be acknowledged and was supposed to get it. You, you were supposed to get a new question. I just meant like, if that situation happens again, that's when you would yeah. get a new question, just like you would have in past seasons. Cause I agree. Like, I don't think these questions asked in these two matches are going to go back into the pool. Also, I feel like the odds of um, someone getting the same question again will be very low because we have that what six season of the Shmodon and how many questions have yeah. been asked. So there has been so much. If, if it happened again, then the coincidence—that's just insane. 
Yeah, exactly. That's why it's so crazy. I think that it happened here in the second match of, of this new rule being implemented. But nevertheless, again, that's probably one of those things that probably won't come up again, but something interesting to talk about. Uh, last talking point probably from, from this match is that is the other challenge that happened in round three. So Bibbs, I believe, got a question about who was supposed to play Axel Foley in Beverly Hills Cop. Um, and he got the answer right, uh, but Ben challenged it as being sort of not really a movie trivia question, more of a casting news question. Of course, uh, Scott, uh, Scott, I was talking to you about this the other night, but uh, because you haven't seen some of the early seasons of the showdown, but in like seasons one and two, like movie news was a category. Um, and with the questions being, um, you know, recycled again, I'm wondering if these questions could come up again. And if so, do you think that they still belong in the Schmodown? Or do you think that Ben maybe was right to call this out and say, uh, you know, ultimately it was upheld because Bibbs got it right. Um, like the question was upheld because Bibbs got it right. Um, but do you think that this these types of questions have any place in the Schmodown anymore? Um, especially because I guess if the movie news questions come up again, it's going to be about like, old movie news from like 2014 when season one and two of the showdown were going on, which I think would be even weirder. But uh, what do y'all think about this? Yeah. I, I mean, for me, look, I have my opinion on it. I think that movie news questions and especially again, like maybe there's a certain type of movie news question that you could ask and it would be fine. Uh, this particular type of movie news question who was rumored to play a role that they then didn't play. I don't think those questions are good questions for the showdown. I don't think that they're good questions at all. I, you know, look, if, if this was a question that was explicitly asked in season one or two in those early seasons when movie news was a category, you know, the, the questions are back in the pool. That is technically the rules. They're in the pool. And, and I, I don't think I can complain too much about this. But if this were, these questions were to come back in force and, and used written, written new, Man, and, and it were to come up more often, I think I'd have a real problem with it because I don't think that they are fair to what I understand the, the boundaries of the league to be. And I, and I thought Ben was justified in challenging. I understand why he didn't win the challenge, but I, I did think it was a, a justified challenge because, I mean, you can know everything about Beverly Hills Cop, and this is what I said to you, Scott, uh, everything about that theatrically released movie and, and about its, you know, about the movie content itself and not know the answer to that question. And uh, <laughs> you can go into details about, how certain things maybe in, in Star Wars questions aren't uh, not can't be known without having maybe reading reading some of the books, uh, the the novelizations of the movies. But this feels uh, particularly difficult because this requires you to go read like trade reports on a news to understand it, and that just doesn't that doesn't feel uh, quite right to me. Yeah, and uh, you said it like where is like the boundaries of it? Because movie news literally it can be anything and. Like how many people has been rumored to play a superhero, but they don't. Like that is just gonna be tough to pull. And, and we don't yeah, even they, know if Stallone was truly rumored, right? Like it, it's a rumor. It's like not even actual news. Like there may have never been a real life conversation that ever happened between anyone. At, I don't know who did Beverly Hills Cop was at Paramount. I'm not even sure. Uh, Sony maybe. Who knows? Uh, but like there may never have been actual conversations between Stallone and that. And it, it, yeah, I am. I'm just not a fan of these types of questions. Yeah, and. We haven't had anything like this since, like you said, the earlier days. And the last time I recall, they had something similar. Well, not really news, more like I, it's it's a team it's a team action match because I remember Andrew Guy answering it. I just forget which. And it was Lion King haven't came out yet. And it's like who is supposed to direct uh, twenty nine the live action yeah. Lion King? 
So I, I don't do think that. that kind of stuff also belong in there. So yeah, they should. It should. It just shouldn't be there. I feel like. Yeah, and and I I think that again, even though Bibbs won the challenge, I think there probably will be a conscious effort moving forward to kind of weed these questions out if there are any more in there. Um, uh, again, <laughs> once again, one of these things that we may never see come up again. But it just feels weird that there was in this first in this first you know big match of the year there was like this perfect storm of like really rare and random things that happened, uh, and it, it does you know. It, it, from our perspectives, it, it gives us a lot to talk about on this match, which I guess is nice. Yeah, and, and I will say that in an in-studio match, I wonder if they wouldn't have just thrown it out and ed, you know and edited it out in post. But obviously here, they're making – obviously with it being a live event, you can't really edit yeah. it out. And also the fact that I, in the latter half of the season, I think they made a, a, conce- a, a very concerted effort to move away from editing the live events into – like productions like they would the in-studio matches which i think is a good choice by the way i was always surprised that they uh really heavily edited some of the earlier live events that had to have been super hard for for those people involved with that um it's just a little bit harder in the live event setting to filter those out i think and i but i wonder if in an in-studio match they would take a pause throw the question out and ask a new one but i don't know we'll see we'll see if it comes up again yeah, that's a good point, too. So, yeah, of course, this match ends up, you know, Brendan hitting his five uh, and really putting the pressure on Dan. And when I heard that the category was movie quotes, I was like, I don't know. That's one of the toughest categories for sure. You and um, everyone else but, in New York. <laughs> I mean, you should. we should never doubt the GOAT. We should never doubt Dan Merle. Um, as he showed once again, getting the win 27-26-25, which are some insane scores for a, a three-round singles match. And Scott, I'll ask you because we are going to Atlanta. So yeah. how how hyped are you for Atlanta now that we have? I mean, what probably one of the most hyped singles title matches in in a in a little bit with Dan Merle and Ben Bateman, two faction mates facing off. Yeah, on a personal level, I'm not sure if I could get more excited for a single title. I don't know if there's a singles title match combination that I'd be more excited about than Bateman against Merle, especially with them still in the same faction with Dagnino being both their managers. I mean, I hope Bobby Gucci can make it down to Atlanta. I know he couldn't make it out to New York, but I think that'll be extremely exciting. Uh, I think the only thing that might compete with that is a Bateman versus Irwin match for me, maybe. But I, I still like getting Dan Merle, getting to meet Dan Merle, because uh, we did miss him in Houston last year, which was a bummer, even though he was there. Uh, he just he didn't go out afterwards, which is where we got to hang out with most of the people. Uh, but yeah, the, I mean, Ben Bateman, people listen to the podcast know Ben Bateman, my favorite singles player, Dan Merle, greatest of all time, and also someone who I, I, I may at first was less of, you know, affectionate towards just because I didn't come into the Schmodown until after he'd retired. But I've grown to love, especially over the last you know year and a half since he returned. And I was excited before the fact that we were going to get to see uh, Bateman compete again. Okay, guys, let's uh, let's move on from the live event then for... Uh, the time being. Um, and I want to talk briefly about the draft because, of course, we haven't, uh, Scott, we haven't recorded an episode since the draft happened. And obviously, you know, you go on for ages about the draft because so much happened. But uh, I want to just kind of for each of us to highlight maybe one one big winner from the draft and one who you would say is a loser. Um, and for the sake of uh, of doing this, why don't we just take the Finstock exchange out of the picture? Because obviously there were going to be a big winner before the draft ever even happened with the murderers row of, of people that they got to keep. So um, I don't know. There's a big argument for the Finstock exchange being a loser because uh, just making waves in their own faction and pissing people off. But uh, yeah, I think they I think they worked through it. 
That is true. But I, yeah, I was going to say, I think from what I understand, it seems to have all uh, sort of fizzled out. But um, Albert, who would you say is, you know, your one big winner and maybe your one big loser here from the draft looking at the rosters? Yeah, um, looking at the roster initially after the draft, I directly have a inkling towards the Maltimorks, especially because he they got Shazam. And then they got Mara Knopek in the third round, which is I feel like is a steal that she dropped uh, down that low. And then he, they also got Tim Franco and Haley Fouch, which could be a very amazing team. And they also got Joseph Scrimshaw at the seventh round, which is he's still in Star Wars. You can always compete in like... You can get, you can be a champion. Well, at least in a contenders match towards the championship, like in the, just in a couple of match. So I feel like those are big picks for Koi and the Malty Marks. Yeah, uh, I mean Koi is definitely someone who people were talking about as, as having a strong draft. You know, as one of the new managers, I think mm-hmm. we were all interested to see what some of the new managers were going to bring uh, to the table. As far as another big winner, big winner, or a winner, I think. Um, talking about the new managers, I think Winston came away with a pretty good haul uh, over at Swag. Um, you talk about Paul Oyama and Lon Harris, which, uh, you know, he seems like he's going to team up those two people. Oyama, obviously, six and one. And Harris is somebody who um, is, you know, now probably considered the best player without a belt. Um, and And maybe this is going to be the partnership he needs to get in there, because I think maybe Oyama, with his last partnership, had didn't have the the strongest partner that he could have had with uh, with Zipper, and I think probably Lon Harris is a step up from that. But you got Chandru Dandapani, someone who is going to be a, a contender in Inner Geekdom, someone who really made a name for himself uh, in Inner Geekdom last year. Um, and you know, you you have some other solid players scattered throughout. Liz Shannon Miller, who had a uh, mm-hmm. almost had a title shot last year, I had that number one contender shot against Oyama. Um, Adam Lavick, someone who is isn't you know an inner geekdom contender, um, and you know a personal favorite of mine, Demi Adijuibe, who I hope we will get to see compete a little bit more because uh, he's he's fun, and I think that he he didn't show all that he could do in that first match. He played pretty well against Liz Shannon Miller, uh, but he hasn't had another match to show off what he could do. Um, and RB three, who knows how much RB three is gonna how much studying and stuff he's gonna put in, but he knows a lot about movies. He was a you know film student. He makes movies. Um, so he's someone who I think maybe could be a sleeper a little bit, and he already has a match coming up. He's going to play against Ben Goddard, as we know, in February. So um, I am a fan of what uh, what Swag has done. I think I think from a competitive perspective, they have a good faction, but also from an entertaining perspective. I mean, they got my all time favorite, Josh Makuga. So uh, I, I'm really I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing Swag. They also got three interdictum players, so that's that's huge if they rack up the points in there and they could help each other out. So yeah, yeah, because they stole. They, I mean, you could consider it a steal, maybe getting Ace Cabrera in the last round. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously we know he knows Star Wars. He hosted Jedi Council for a bit. I'll be interested to see how he does in the other interdictum categories. But again, we'll get to see because he's got a match against Robert Parker. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was gonna say it's, it's nice to get three interdictum players on your roster, and you know, even if you're not competing for titles. Those points still count, but uh, unfortunately, I don't think they have any of the top three intergeekdom contenders, uh, which unfortunately is going. I mean, again, intergeekdom in some again, we I, we will see how things develop from the league and match perspective with uh, with Skydance 
um, and the number of matches that do get produced. Over Skybound, the isn't sorry, it? Skybound, Skydance is a different thing. <laughs> uh, sorry, Skydance is a movie production company. I don't know. Why I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Skybound. Yeah, how many matches get produced per week? But as of last year, Interdiction was essentially trading places with the teams' matches, and there are fewer of those types of matches. If the schedule changes this year, obviously that could that could be very different. But it's uh it's one of those things where Inner Geekdom is one of those one of those um, leagues in between Star Wars and singles and close to teams where you kind of have to have the best teams to get the most points. And we'll see. Chandru obviously ran Smets extremely close last year, and I think. I think he got the appreciation he deserved for that, but even that, I think he might have been underappreciated, especially after what Smets did to Kalinowski at the Spectacular. But uh, yeah, I think Swag is also under the radar as a good as a good faction here. Scott, who do you, who would you pick as another winner? Yeah, I think that the whole top half of my of my draft rankings, which I, which I did make, obviously I, I had the Finsock Exchange at the top, I had the Mouthy Mercs at number two, I had Swag at number four, and after some you know long consideration, I actually ended up having Corruption at number three. Obviously, one of the main reasons for that is that Mike Kalinowski is is really, as of right now, the only proven triple threat in this league. I mean, the guy was one match away from having a title match to be triple belted. I mean, yeah, he ended the season with no belts, but man, I think that at the end of the season, he really came out unappreciated for what he was able to accomplish over the course of the year, just simply because he had nothing to show for it uh, on on the spectac- on the day of the spectacular. But Mike Kalinowski, again, the only proven three-league player. Dan Murrow might give him a run for his, for his money if he does go into and is successful in Intergeekdom, but Mike and, and Chance are, to me, they are the number one picks. Like, I understand that, obviously, everything with the dynamics of having Shannon as the manager of corruption and drafting Mike was a virtual impossibility, I think, for anyone else. I know Roka likes to boast about how the fact that he would have drafted him and just to see what happens or whatever, uh, but I think it was wise of, of, of going to take <laughs> To take Shazam, it made a lot of sense. Um, but I think that Kalinowski, especially what he kind of showed off uh, after the Schmodown Awards and once the draft had started, he, he showed he had – I was wondering if he'd have that fire, and I think it was pretty clear that he did have that fire, and I think he's going to be back in the ring just as quickly competing in all three divisions. I mean, we'll see this year if he gets his lucky spinning bond, but corruption's just as big a threat as anyone in the team's league, and Mike has proven time and time again that with or without – obviously he's stronger with bond, but even without bond. He's a threat in singles as well, so I think he is one of the one of the best players, especially given the points, whatever the point, final points format is for the league. Uh, I think he's someone who is very, very valuable. Chance, I think, still like his two. How, how many losses does Chance have? Does he have two losses? It's it's losses? like two or three, but they're all to like all like the there's one to Merle, Irwin, and Oyama. I think are like his losses or something. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah, because he lost to Irwin in round one. Oyama in the number one. No, I think I think Bibbs maybe and not not Merle. Bibbs, I think not Bibbs Merle. was this year. Yeah. Bibbs, Bibbs was this year. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Bibbs was this year in the singles tournament. So I mean, the the guy has three losses. I think he might be three and three or whatever on or four or four and three or something around there. But all of his losses are two or three of the best singles, you know, best singles players in the league. And so I think he's an underrated singles player because he was, you know, one question away from beating Oyama and getting to that number one contenders match where he almost certainly would have. In my opinion, he almost certainly would have beaten Lish and Miller and gone to the titles match. So he's right there on the precipice, too. And I think that these are two of the players that are really, really strong, and you can expect them to do well. I think Mark Edward Hoyk is also someone who maybe I was a little bit surprised he goes in round three, but he's someone who might have a really high a really high ceiling. Uh, obviously, he's underperformed in his two matches so far, but 
you know, he had, we haven't seen him in singles and he undoubtedly will go into singles. I think Dewberry was certainly a, a heel move by Shannon, who I was joking earlier about heel of the year. I think she probably is in the running for heel of the year already. Wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, she beats uh, her, her boyfriend and fa- fellow faction head, so to speak in Mike this year for heel of the year. Uh, she's really going all in. It feels like going further down. I think Laura Kelly in the fifth round, I did kind of glaze over Dewberry uh, about his uh, performance ability, but Laura Kelly in the fifth round, I felt like was a steal. I mean, I know she lives in Chicago and, and is a question mark around how many times she'd be able to record a match. But I mean, she's definitely, she, it'd be crazy if she wasn't in a celebration match. I feel like, uh, even though I know that's in California and Anaheim this year, but I'd be shocked if she wasn't in one of those matches. And uh, she, she proves that, you know, she could run Damon to a certain point. I obviously, I think she got a little bit rattled in the betting round after she missed the betting round question. And things went downhill from there. But she put in a really strong showing before that. And I think she's very capable. You know, Nerd Chronic has dropped out, so he's no longer on the roster. I don't know too much about kind of the latter half of this roster. I don't know anything about Clee Wiggins. I don't know anything about Marisol McKee, although I know she's a, a somewhat hyped fan league player. So I think yeah. there's some value and potential there. Bonnie Somerville, I mean, she had a close match with Janine on Janine's debut match. And I know... Albert, you mentioned her earlier, right? Was it you? I can't remember. No, it wasn't you. Yeah, I, oh, me- I mentioned how she's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see her as a heel. That's okay. Yeah, I didn't make that up. <laughs> uh, yeah, you mentioned her earlier. I think that is interesting. Well, I don't know what Bonnie Somerville has in her. I mean, she hasn't played since that match with Janine, I don't think, but could could be interesting. I just think there's so much value at the top half of this roster that the corruption was someone who you couldn't overlook. They really cover, I mean, with Mike, you instantly have coverage in three divisions and then Lark Kelly is definitely in the top three active players in Star Wars, in my opinion. Uh, and yeah, uh, Bonnie have a match against Brett Sheridan. And in, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that's an automatic win for Bonnie, unless she's screwed. I think so, Brett. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brett isn't the best player. but Bonnie's not uh, the best player either, but we'll see. Yeah. And to add on the chance aspect, he did play in a Geekdom last season, and I don't know if he's going to play again this season. And I'm just looking mm-hmm. at these stats. He is 2-3, and three, and he the three losses are the one that you said. And I'm looking at his stats right now. If I'm looking at this correctly... He have the third highest accuracy stat lifetime, yeah. so that's that's huge. But he just he just faced a competitor that had a better match than him mm-hmm. on those respective matches. So yeah, yeah, those are his singles matches, and his two in his what two or three teams losses. One of them is to who is it? Was it who's the boss or was it the self? I can't remember. If it was that or um, the Harris brothers last last year in the teams tournament uh, after they beat after they beat yeah. uh, the founding fathers, and then this year who did they? Oh right, they lost to they. They lost, fathers, yeah. They lost, well, yeah, they lost the yeah. fathers, and they weren't in the team's tournament. So it's just like the, the guy mm-hmm. is, I mean, the guy's crazy. He's absolutely good. And you're right. He was in the inner kingdom. Was it a four-way? The one, the one that. Yeah. Brandon Hanna won. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember. Who uh, I think it might've been Keith oh, Markey, but. It was, um, it was Markey. Yeah. So, but looking, I, I think that's, I think corruption is a good choice as well. Um, we will see what happens in that Somerville Sheridan match, but looking to the other end of the, the spectrum. I think it for me, if you're talking about the losers from the draft, I look to the dungeon first. I think that um, Same. a really strange decision to take Robert Parker in round two when you already have the intergeekdom champion um, in Kevin Smets as your first round pick. I mean, look, it, from one perspective, you pretty much have a guaranteed inner geekdom belt probably because I'm not sure if there's anyone out there who can beat Kevin Smets right now, except for maybe Robert Parker. Um, 
Mike, Mike, maybe, right? But the only reason he did it the first time was because Kevin Smets had the slip up. Um, and I just don't know if that's going to happen again. But looking further down this list, I mean, you get Eric Zipper, uh, who is probably your best singles threat, which is not something that, you know, you should really be that proud of. Uh, and then you have Adam Witt, right? The the weaker of the two movie guys. And beyond that, it's really a lot of rookies. Um, I was going to say Adam Witt, probably their biggest single threat, honestly. I know, maybe I'm super pessimistic on Zipper, and that's unfair, because, I mean, he did beat Haley Fouch in singles, I believe, Yeah. Uh, in, in Sudden Death. But, man, I think Adam Witt and, might be a little bit of a sleeper. And if, yeah, you might be right about that. And, of course, we do have to mention the trade that happened today. Right. Um, yeah. Which... I, I I do wonder, of course, so Claudia Dolph was involved in the trade. She she was traded from the dungeon to the Burning Droogs for Video Drew. Um, and obviously we haven't seen Claudia Dolph play before. From doing some research on her, I think she was going to be also an interdictum player. Um, so I, I wonder mm-hmm. if this was, even if she does turn out to be a good interdictum player, I wonder if this was Kaiser, you know, recognizing that he has too, mit, too much interdictum talent on his roster and probably not, not enough singles or teams division talent uh, on his roster. And so trading for someone in video drew who, you know, was a semifinalist in the team's tournament, um, which I think can't, can't be um, overstated as well. Um, and so I, I think that will be interesting. I think a lot of people are saying that the burning droogs kind of got fleeced with this trade and they might be right about that. Um, but and of course we'll have to see what Claudia Dolph can do before, um, before we, you know, know that for sure. But Albert, do you have any thoughts on, on the dungeons roster or on any other factions who you're looking at as maybe not having the best draft? Yeah. Uh, you if you, if what you're saying is right, that Claudia Dolph is going to play in the Regictum, that makes sense. That's why they traded for Saul. They trade away Saul in the first place because they mm-hmm. had Saul and they traded to the den because he found out that Saul only is going to play uh, in the Regictum. And yeah, the reason once again, why the dungeon, I don't want to say it's a loser. It's just the most hard to predict at this point because Lots of rookies and the singles players is not the most like established singles player. And the top two player are Robert Park and Kevin Smets, just going to be competing for the Invictum title. So that's it's just very hard to predict what's going to happen with the dungeon. I think um, one devil's advocate point on taking two, arguably the two best. And I, I know, like, I was playing that Mike could is up there as well. But I think for me right now, and recency bias on Mike's KO in. And the spectacular, but the two best intergeekdom players are in the dungeon. If you know they do go a direction this season where there are as many intergeekdom matches as say singles matches, does it is this that bad of a of a play then? If there if there are people getting just as many singles matches as intergeekdom matches, and those points count just the same as the singles points uh, in the faction war, uh, is this that bad of of a ploy to take? Smets obviously with your protected pick in the first round, but then someone who's like a guaranteed title match by the end of the season, like the kid is, I mean, Parker is going to get it is going to be in a title match by the end of the season for sure. If there is a bump up in the frequency of intergeekdom matches, especially since there will be an intergeekdom tournament, we know this as well this year. I'm, I'm, be, I'm beginning to wonder if having the best two intergeekdom players might be just as good as having a, you know, a middle up, you know, upper middle tier singles player. Yeah, but even if if there is a lots of intergeekdom matches, I don't know the math for this. Like, I don't know how much exactly, but usually, in order for you to get a number one contenders shot, you just have to win four times in a row. And like, if that's four times multiplied by how many points, like two, uh, it'll be like eight. Like the KOs and stuff, but yeah. 
Yeah. And then like if Smets and Parker is just the top two in the league in terms of inner geekdom, just in, imagine just they just interche- interchangeable. That means that they won't be playing that much still because if you're a, the top seed, you just have to play another uh, number one contender and you're back in the championship battle. So, yeah. But, yeah, you know, that can work. I just don't know exactly if, <laughs> if that will crack up the point, but it could work. But you can make that argument then of having Dan, like someone like Dan Merle and Ben Bateman on the same team. They're not going to rack that many points up for you just because they're always going to be at the top. Look, I, I don't know how much I buy into the argument that I just made there because I think I think you're making a valid point. I just wonder if the value to at least the way that maybe Kaiser was going about his draft pick, like I could draft Paul Preston or I could draft someone who I know is going to be in a title match this year. I personally think that you should draft Paul Preston because you can also take that singles player and put him in teams and you're going to get more points that way. But I've been trying to rationalize it a little bit because I was shocked that he took Robert Parker. I mean, he could, he could use it as a trade chip and that a lot of people would wonder about Parker. So that, if that happens, you know, yeah, um, it, it'll be interesting to see. You know, the other factions maybe that we haven't talked about, the Den, obviously, I think has a really strong team potential with Tom and Paul Preston. Um, I think they're going to be team. Yeah, that, I think they're going to be a, a big contender in the team's division. Um, and, I, you know, talking about Roxy's team, obviously she has the odd couple up there. Um, she has uh, Alex Damon. Um, who is obviously going into inner geekdom now. Now, of course, we will see whether, um, what, how, you know, how much of a threat he will actually be in inner geekdom uh, when he goes up against Emily Rose Jacobson. Christian seems to be thinking that, uh, that Emily Rose Jacobson is going to be taking that match, but I don't know how, how much he knows about uh, what the full range of Alex Damon's uh, knowledge is in inner geekdom. Um, but she also got Stacy Howard in the fourth round, which I think is, I mean, that's kind of a steal for the fourth round, I would say. Uh, I slightly surprised to see her there. And then she has people like JTE and JTE. Uh, Jim and Jim Vavida, who I think, if they play, will be really good. But JTE obviously doesn't live in California anymore. And Vavida hasn't played in a long time since like the start of season five. And he's he's very good, but... We don't, who knows if we're even going to see him. So I think I would describe her faction as high risk, high reward uh, because she definitely took some risks, but if those risks pay off, I think she could have one of the top two or three factions for sure. Yeah. The, the thing is with Roxy is that I think she fell into this trap of listening to our podcast when I talked about Jim Favita being a sleeper yeah, big. I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. She tweeted at you the other day. Um, but I think that's that, <laughs> I think, I think that, uh, I am the after at the time I thought Roxy had drafted in an interesting way. I wasn't sure how I felt about it at the time. And when everything shook out, I think that she really, she came out in the middle for draft performance for me. And it's for that reason that she took a lot of risks. The more I sit with them, I'm not even sure how high the rewards are for them. Like even if JT wins every match he plays in this year, I mean, like it's not going to be more than three matches, right? Like Boston, maybe like maybe he does a Boston match. I don't think the what if matches are going to count. So whatever, if they do a what if Patriots match, I don't think that's going to count. Like maybe he'd come out for the, like, I don't know how the free for all is going to work for the point system. Would he come out for the free for all and do something like the free for all, especially after last year when he finished what, like third in the free for all. Uh, but did. it's just a, it's just a, it, it's a big risk for a, a pick so high. And I'm just not sure how high the reward is. And, and I think that I can't remember who it was that made this point. I think it was someone on on back, on backstage, but like JT was going to be available in round 10. 
Like she could have taken him in round 10. It would <laughs> yeah. have been an issue. Um, so I don't Snyder might have really let her let his uh let his manager down there. Also, apparently it might be also from backstage, but no one was thinking of Vavoda as well. When Roxy brought it up to Harloff, Harloff's like, that's that's that would be a pretty good pick. So apparently yeah. maybe not a lot of people seeing Vavoda as well. So yeah. Yeah, I mean Vavid is yeah. very knowledgeable. He's in that cult of people with bibs with Irwin who just know a lot of, uh-huh. know know a lot right doesn't probably won't ever study but knows a lot yeah. the other team that i would say that has been added i would add to this list is uh i mean you mentioned them briefly but the den i'm just like not impressed with the draft i mean yes tom and paul are on that team but like rachel silvestrini is like i don't even know who sean sullivan i mean brandon hannah is kind of like the fifth or sixth best intergeekton player and she drafted him in round three i don't i don't not familiar yeah, with yeah so oh go ahead so I was going to say, so Sean Sullivan's going to be a Star Wars player. And also, uh, we know that Rachel Silvestrini and Ben Goddard are going to be a team. Uh, that was that was confirmed. Which is so, exciting. But I just don't know what yeah. that is going to be. Also, mean. I believe I believe they dropped the end because she's unavailable or something. They did. So I think they have an empty spot right now. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, this is just a team that I think, like, yes, Tom and Paul, they could win a title this year. I think – between the three of them, they could win three titles this year. And you could win teams and they could both win singles title, honestly. But past that, I just don't know what this team is doing. I just don't think this team has anything deeper than that personally. But maybe she knows something I don't. Maybe Hannah or like Silvestrini or Goddard won't win a championship. But as long as they win the matches in between, they will still rack up the points, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I'm pretty sure Hannah will win a couple of the match, even though he's not the best. Yeah. He'll still win them because he's been studying a lot too. So, and, and I think that's really what you're looking for in those latter rounds is just somebody who can hopefully pick up two or three wins. Um, and and I think that Silvestrini and Goddard have the potential to be that for sure. Um, the other faction which I think is might have some problems this year is the Burning Drugs. Um, they ha- they're very like singles and teams heavy, right? With Ethan Irwin, Alonzo Duraldi, and, and Whitney Seibold. Um, Obviously, they traded for Claudia Dolph, who, along with Warfather, is going to kind of be their their inner geekdom players, I guess. Uh, and James White, uh, of course, going in the second round, uh, he he will definitely be playing singles and teams. I think I think he'll probably team up with Ethan Irwin. I'm not sure about inner geekdom. It, it's possible we'll see him there too. Uh, I I'm not familiar with whether he. I, I don't know whether he played in like the inner geekdoms in the fan leagues or not, but. Um, Maybe that's another inner geekdom option there, but I just feel like I feel like in drafting Ethan Irwin, Alonzo Duralde, and Whitney Seibold, you kind of got the same player three times almost. You you definitely got the same type of player three times. And yeah. I I looked at this and like honestly, maybe it's the right players. Like maybe honestly, maybe it is the right players for Robert Meyer Burnett. Like he's not going to coach them. They're probably not going to be able to be coached. I mean, look, e- Ethan is. <laughs> You can't like look like the guy is so smart, but you're never like he doesn't have the time, and I really doubt you're ever going to convince him to study. You could argue he doesn't need to, but like I don't know, like does Whitney need to be? Like, can Whitney be coached? Is Alonzo someone who can be coached? Like I don't know, and like Robert Meyer Burnett might actually be the right manager for these people, but yeah, I don't think it makes him super competitive in this league because I don't think Alonzo. I I love Alonzo. I don't think he's going to compete for a title. I yeah, I'm not too sure, but yeah. It might make more sense, honestly, to to pair like Alonzo and, and Ethan up than like um, James White and Ethan. Well, who are you um, going to put James White with? Then, like, are you are you going to put I him mean, with 
with Whitney. Yeah, I I don't know. That's a good point. I just think uh, it will it will deter it will be dependent on how James White does. Like I think uh, Alonzo, you know, we we've seen him play really strong in in the team's division, and with somebody yeah. like Ethan on his side, that that I mean I, that would be a really dangerous team in my opinion. Um, I almost think Ethan with Whitney makes more sense than Ethan with Alonzo, but that's just me. I but the I, thing, sorry, the thing about that is both of them knows the stuff. They just don't really know much about the game, which is mm-hmm. why pairing with James White would yeah. be better because he he knows the game. And I don't know how much that's a good point. knows, but he seems like he seems at least that he knows more than Whitney Seibold in terms of the game and all. So yeah. Yeah, and Christian has said that recently. I heard him say that Alonzo is kind of getting more on board with the showdown than maybe he was at first, and probably maybe trying to learn the game and study a little bit. Which Whitney Seibold hasn't really shown much of a desire to do, I guess. Um, I mean, he hasn't gotten enough matches really to even demonstrate that. But um. yeah, but I mean, his last singles match it was awful. Um, And like he he didn't even know what was going on. It seemed like, but. (laughs) Okay, I think that's a pretty good recap of the draft there. Um, the last thing I want to talk about before we close out really quickly is um, Christian just posted this 33 minutes ago on Facebook, uh, which is some of the amount, matches that have been announced for 2020 uh, that we're going to see in the coming months. Um, and I just want to uh, read these out really quickly and know uh, and hear from you guys on what maybe one or two of the matches that you're looking forward to are. Um, so, of course, some of these we already know. Brett Sheridan versus Bonnie Somerville, Ben Goddard versus RB3, and Christian has said that the winners of those two matches will play each other in a sort of like SEN live-like little tournament there. Um, Odd Couple versus Who's the Boss uh, 2, uh, Snyder versus Irwin. That's one that I don't think we knew about yet, but that's going to be a really good singles match. Um, Parker versus Cabrera, Intergeekdom, we knew that one. Uh, a Star Wars match. This one is interesting. Uh, a Star Wars match between Sean Sullivan and Adam Witt. So apparently Adam Witt wow. is going to give it a go in Star Wars. Um, Smets versus Kanopic, obviously one that we, you know, had, was supposed to happen. And, and now, you know, it is going to happen at some point. The Family versus Corruption, another one that we've heard about. Uh, Roka versus Oyama, a uh, singles match that we'd heard about. And then lastly, uh, another singles match, which I don't think we heard about yet, and that is Janine is going to play Mark Riley. So what are some uh, what are some matches that stick out to you guys there, you know, either from the ones we already knew about or from the new ones? I'm just excited to see Robert Parker actually play. So that's one against Ace. I'm also I'm also really excited for Roka versus Oyama. It's even though Oyama is no longer a rookie, it still feels like old school versus new school, Roka versus Oyama. And there's going to be some I don't know. I feel like there will be some heated uh, trash talk going on. So that's oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, because you know that. I mean, the narrative last year with Oyama was him sort of being mm-hmm. like the entitled kid of the league, and yes. so then if you want to think about who is sort of the opposite of that personality, you have like the the aggressive dad character. <laughs> That's John Roker right there. So I think he he's probably going to want to come into it with the attitude of putting Paul Oyama in his place. Um, but I don't know if that's going to phase Paul or not. Pro- probably not. It doesn't seem like much phases him. We will see. Um, you know uh, what? How he responds to his, you know, thrashing against Ben Bateman. I was going to say, I, I think that. Did you say Paul doesn't get rattled easily? Yeah. Oh man, I think he was so rattled with the match against Ben. I think that just yeah, but I, I mean, that's. I think that's perfect though by this point. 
Yeah, I, I think so. And that was the first time we'd seen him rattled. Like in other matches, like the chance match, the Merle match, he would get down, but he like would, really wasn't getting rattled and he was able to come back and win those matches. So, yeah, I, I think that, that was a, a rare example, but I don't think we're I also don't think we're going to see him in that sort of a blowout match very, uh, very often. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I think for me of the of the matches that you list, the one that jumps off the page for me, I mean, one, I'm excited about a lot of these matches, but Snyder against Irwin uh, from the singles division, I think is a is a big one. I think that I, I think that Janine and Riley is a really interesting match. But for me, the Snyder Irwin match, I think that Ethan lost that first match in the live event, lost the belt and then lost the triple threat with Roka and Bibbs. And that really was the end of his single season. And yeah, he popped back up in the singles tournament, but that was kind of it. I know that was mainly because he was busy more so than anything else here. Uh, but I wonder what that match, the result of this match might mean for Ethan, but even more so for Snyder, who I think is the, like, it, it's not going to be the be all and the end all of his entire season. But I think that this is the kind of match that if Snyder, especially if he gets blown out in this match, which is always possible, I think with Ethan, uh, cause he's such a machine, but if Snyder gets blown out here, I think that you could, I mean, you could see his single season pretty much be done, even as a part of, uh, even as a part of the Rockstars with Roxy as his manager. He's just someone who, you know, he really rides those waves of momentum so, so powerfully, uh, not just within a match itself, but across matches. And I think that he's someone who could, uh, I just don't know if I'd want my, if I'd want my, you know, if Snyder was on my team, I don't know if I'd want him playing Irwin in the first match of the season. Right. So, <laughs> It's just a it's a it's a big ask, but again, we you never know which Snyder shows up, uh, and more often than not with Roxy, it's been the right Snyder. But he obviously disappointed a little bit in the title match with Oyama and so on and so forth. But I think that's an interesting one. And then I think the corruption versus the family again from the, from the team's perspective, and that's the match that, to have your eye on. I think I think you're, we're going to know pretty quickly if uh, Mike Kalinowski is it, is really back and is Mikey three belt still as someone who can compete across those three divisions. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like he's going to be that player. He's going to, he has that fire back, but we're going to see it in action. If he has that fire back against the family. Cause again, I think, I mean, not again, but like corruption in my opinion is better than the family. Like Drew McQueenie is much better than Drew guy. I think that's, that's just a fact. I know that Drew guy did well in the first rounds last se- last seasons, but you know, I think that team in the second and third rounds, it's not that Andrew Guy is a is a boat anchor, of course, pulling the team down, but you know the team performs as well as Drew does in the latter half and the in the latter two rounds, I think, and, and that's what elevates them to to the to the pinnacle and it, it elevated them to the team tournament final last year. So I think it's going to matter a lot. Whereas I think if you if you flip the table and you look at corruption, sometimes it's Mike, sometimes it's Chance, and when it's both of them, I mean, you almost get knocked out even at the founding fathers. I mean, the fact that they had to score ten points in the final round in that number one contender match from earlier uh, last year, just to force them to hit a two point question in teams. Like that's unheard of. Uh, They're really, really strong. Yeah. Uh, another match that I'm looking at just from an entertaining perspective, maybe I- I'm looking forward to Ben Goddard versus RB three. I think that's going to be a fun match. And also I'm going to be interested to see what they can both bring to the table. Obviously we haven't seen RB three in a while, um, but you know, with him getting more involved with SEN and stuff, I wonder if he's going to, you know, be, be, pursuing the Schmodown harder and studying harder. Um, and then Ben is someone who has kind of an unknown, right? Like he, obviously he's very young and hasn't really played in the fan leagues or anything like that, but he has displayed, um, you know, a good amount of movie knowledge from just on SEN and stuff. And I've heard from some sources that maybe he has been like 
he has suggested that he knows more than he has perhaps been letting on like on SEN for, for strategizing purposes. He's kind of like covering up some of the knowledge that maybe he actually has. I mean, he's also very outspoken. If you listen to SEN, he's like, he's talked a lot about the Schmodown and how interested and how hungry he is. And he's also, he have like, he have swagger there too. Yeah. So, So, yeah. And also from an entertaining perspective, I am so excited to see what Brad Sheridan is going to do, man. Yeah. Will he be able to score a point? (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Will he score a point? I mean, this this could be like another El Mayembe match, honestly, in terms (laughs) of like how how many points he's actually able to score. Because, man, I I just don't know. He doesn't really see very many movies. And uh, obviously, he bombed out in that free-for-all. That was a a very quick run that he had last year. He did. so I think this might be one of those matches for the, you know, j- just for the entertainment factor, kind of like Burnett and Dagnino was. But you need those matches every now and then. They can't all be Merle versus Bibbs mm-hmm. versus the kid for sure. Yeah, I mean, you need you need a Makuga match every once in a while. It's not because he's getting yeah. the number one contender. Although that would be awesome if that some someday happened. Um, hey, he has played in a title match. Let's not forget. Um, yeah, his, his career is trending upward, not allowing, not giving him more time to study movies. So, you know, you know, is this true. is this this is why I've been saying we need more Cody Hall in the showdown because that one match against Lon Harris was so good. And, hey, oh you yeah, know, it's exchange, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. one of the most entertaining matches and a pretty easily. I mean, decent quality match too. So I yeah, I'm definitely excited that we're gonna probably get be getting more Cody in this season. The fact that Cody Hall has been par- part of two of the most entertaining matches in showdown history between that match <laughs> and then the Jurassic Park. But- Iron Man match. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I thought you were gonna say the me- when the Mega Powers played against the uh, the Wangers. That was also yeah. also a good, also a very entertaining match. But I mean, the Jurassic Park match with him and Perry Nimrod was yeah. great. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, okay, guys. Well, I think that just about brings us to the end of this episode of Champs Lunch. Uh, Albert, thanks so much for joining us. Um, do you want to plug your channel, plug your social media, stuff like that? Go ahead and do that now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you uh, for having me on once again. I'm very honored to be the first guest in Champs Lunch. <laughs> and yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at J.A. Wiradharma. Wiradharma spelled W-I-R-A-D-H-A-R-M-A. Uh, you could find my YouTube channel, Jaw Movies. Uh, that's where I do my video version of my show as well. Uh, my main podcast is The Councilman Show. That's where I talk about all the movie stuff with all my friends. And the other thing that I'm starting off is I'm testing out if I can move on with this. It's a Shmodan podcast as well. I'm calling it Not the Pigs. I'm surprised not, it hasn't been taken yet. So yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm probably going to do that. I don't know how often, but look forward to that if you want to see me do Shmodan stuff. Hey, we were shocked Champs Lunch wasn't taken when we, when we did it. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Scott, where can our listeners find you? As always, at shelton 2013 over on Twitter. Uh, and you can find me at Scarby Dent on Twitter. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Champs Lunch. Thanks again to Albert for joining us. Make sure to check out uh, all of our other podcasts uh, right here in the Some Like It Scott feed where you found uh, this Champs Lunch episode. Of course, we have our weekly Some Like It Scott episodes um, where we uh, are, are reviewing uh, a, a, a weekly new release. We have our newsletter, which is going to be coming out soon. Uh Get in touch with us on social media if you want to subscribe to that. Uh, and yeah, just keep keep staying tuned to the podcast feed. Of course, we will be back with Champs Lunch next month. Uh, it should be a great episode with us getting to talk about our experience that we're going to have in Atlanta as well um, at the end of next month. So really looking forward to that. Uh, and hopefully we can have a, a guest who was even half as great as Albert was on this episode next time. But until then, for Albert and Scott, 
I'm Scott Harvey. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.